I heard a story the other day of uh, little Eli. Somebody say little Eli. Somebody say little Eli. Thank you. I know you guys have been in quarantine and you're ready to get rowdy. You're all piled up, so you can help me out today. Uh, Little Eli, uh, he went to G-Kids, and uh, he learned at his lesson a few months ago that Jesus is the answer to everything. And and so he went to school the next day, and uh, long story short, he had a test, and he thought he was going to get 100. He went to recess. After recess, the teacher called him back into her desk and said, hey, Eli, you got a zero on the test. Crushed. He said, well, let me look at the test. And she said, well, let's look at number one. And she asked him, she goes, explain to me what you see. And it was a tree and had a little fluffy animal in it. And she goes, what is that? And he goes, well, I know it looks like a squirrel, but my teacher told me Jesus is the answer to everything. Amen? (laughs) Jesus is the answer to everything. I want to talk about him today. Uh, The truth is right now, Grace, uh, the world can't heal itself. The world can't save itself, and the world can't restore itself. Only Jesus can do that. Amen? Amen. You know, as we examine the entire Bible, as we start in the Old Testament, we'll see that from the beginning of time when man fall, the entire earth has been crying out in hopeful expectation of when this Messiah, Jesus, would come. When he came, they wrote four eyewitness accounts about him, and the rest of the Bible is looking back to him. Jesus is the answer. You know, one of my favorite books, the book of Romans, uh, it was written because of a practical problem. You see, in the church of Rome, like most churches of that day, uh, the Jews were the first to give their life to Jesus and then the, the Gentiles. So the church of Rome was led by Jews. They were converted Jews. They were now followers of Christ. And the problem came when Emperor Claudius, the emperor of that day, he, he eventually put, he banished all the Jews from Rome. The problem arose when, when the Gentiles began to leave the church, and then Emperor Claudius, after five years, he lifts the ban, and many of the Jews returned. And, and what we see and, and also can speculate was some of the tension that was in the church because you had some that were leading it and, and now they have different customs and holidays and, and traditions and expectations. And so Paul writes a letter to the church of Rome to reconcile and unite the church. Surprisingly, what I love about the genius of, of our God and, and of Paul, he says, not that Paul is God, <laughs> he was a messenger of him. He surprisingly, he doesn't pick a side. Rather, he writes a book about the gospel to Christians. You see, according to Paul, the gospel is a practical solution to life's problems. We get it wrong when we think the gospel is the starting place. Yes, it is, absolutely. But the message of Jesus is where we live and find life. Paul writes a book about justification by faith, freedom in the law, the differences in the body and how we form different members, but we form one body. Paul, in one way or another, says, Jesus is the answer. Amen? I need y'all today. We're going to talk about Jesus. You've been in quarantine. We can get excited. Jesus is the answer. You know, my mentor, he, uh, he oftentimes tell, tells me, he says, I don't like going to synagogue meetings. And what he means by that is at a synagogue, you can hear about God, you can have good moral lessons. Generally speaking, though, you don't talk about Jesus. And as a church and as a people, we believe everything rests on the fact that Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again, and in him, everything is held together. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. 
God, that we can regather. And God, for those who are online, God, I pray we would just be one family with one mission, that Jesus is the hope of humanity. God, we love you. I pray that we would grow closer to you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, Chandler, my wife and I are delighted to be at the regathering process. Um, by the way, my name is Jonathan. I'm the student and young adults pastor here. Uh, fun fact, my daughter's one-year-old, one-year birthday is tomorrow. Isn't that crazy? She's already, anyways, so insane. I, uh, I ran into a buddy the other day at a grocery store. I hadn't seen him in years. Um, apparently, he follows me. We're friends on Facebook or something like that. And he asked me, he goes, how's your daughter? And I was like, man, she's great. And I said, do you have any kids? And he said, no. He said, I would not have a kid in this kind of world. And I thought to myself, I would, because my child and my children-to-be are not going to be byproducts of this world. They're going to change this world. And as I look at the news and things get darker, I think, man, the more we need children that are being raised in the name of Jesus. Amen? Come on. I'm delighted, you know, as a church, uh, our mission is to fill the city with Jesus uh, and I'm thankful that I get to help with the students and young adults here. Uh, students were in 2030. We are regathering uh, this Sunday, we're ha- tonight actually, we're having e- uh, G students. Um, it's going to be from 6.30 until 7.30, 6th grade to 12th grade. And then this Wednesday, 2030, if you were 18 to 39, we don't card. I'm, I'm sure, I think we have a few people over 39. You're welcome to join us um, at 7 p.m. Uh, I do, I do want to say this. You know, Jesus more than any other person, he, he scratched where people were itching. You know, a lot of the New Testament and, and his messages that he gave were in response to people's questions. You know, people would ask him a question and he would respond. And that's where we get a lot of the context of the New Testament. And more than that, he, he, he used fishing terms, he used farming terms. Why? Because that's what people knew. Jesus was so in tune with what people were going through. And I want to say this. Man, last week, our senior pastor, Randy Thornton, he gave an incredible message on what we're seeing in the news and, and how we as a church are uniting and, and how our, our mission forward. And so I want to encourage you, if you have not already, um, I would encourage you at some point this week, go and listen to it. You can find it on our website, gracechurchsb.org. Um, and he talks a lot about Jesus. So uh, let's get going. Uh, today, I do want to talk about Jesus. And if you know me, uh, I usually have three points. That's just the way my mind works. But I got so excited and, and just, you know, thinking about Jesus, I could only get two. I just had so much content. I was like, dang, this is so much fun. So uh, obviously there's a lot we could say and a lot of things we could talk about under the umbrella of Jesus. But I, I just want to focus on two specific things. So first one, somebody say number one. Number one. Somebody type number one. <laughs> According to Jesus. According to Jesus, people are the priority. According to Jesus, people are the priority. People over procedures, the mission over the method. Time and time again, we see examples like the Pharisees coming to Jesus, and they say, why are your disciples eating, eating on the Sabbath? Why are they picking from the field? And he would say, he would say well, Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. We see that Jesus time and time again is motivated and moved by people. People are the priority according to Jesus. You know, during quarantine, uh, Chandler and I, we cooked way too much. <laughs> we ate so much food. Uh, you know, we had an instant pot, uh, instant pot. I learned how to, like, make pulled pork on, in an instant pot. It's incredible. We were always thinking about food. 
you might say, you probably tell, food was always on our mind. It was all, like, it's what we thought about. Can I tell you something, church? People are always on God's mind. People are always on Jesus' mind. Romans 8, 34 says it like this. It says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, he was raised to life and is at the right hand of God. And what is Jesus doing right now? He is interceding for us. Right now, Jesus is praying for us. Right now, Jesus is thinking about what he's thinking about people. As we look at the New Testament, time and time again, Jesus talks about the priority of people. But more than that, Jesus is moved by people. Not just what he says, but his actions. Time and time again, Jesus would change what he's doing to encounter people. People are the priority. In one of the most excruciating moments of Jesus' life, even then, he was concerned about others. In John 19, 27, as he's on the cross, he looks at his disciples and he says, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciples took her in to their home. Even on the cross, Jesus was concerned about other people. I stepped on a nail a few months ago and went through my shoe, and I was not concerned about other people. When Hosanna needed a diaper change, I was like, babe, you got this. Like, like, I, like I'm, I was consumed with me. That's not Jesus. Jesus prioritizes people, and not just his mother, but even presumably a stranger, a thief on the cross. Jesus is concerned about the spiritual well-being of him. More than that, the, those who were putting Jesus on the cross in, in Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus, this is radical. Jesus is concerned about people. One more example. In Luke 19, as Jesus uh, says, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. Who knows Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Anyways, <laughs> wee little man was he. Uh, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Hey, Verse 3, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. Verse 7 says, when they saw it, they began to grumble. Talking about the Pharisees, they began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You have to understand, Jesus is radically inclusive. Doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're forgotten, if you're well known, if you're black, if you're white, every tribe, every nation, the gospel in Jesus is radically inclusive. Verse 8, the Bible says, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. So Jesus is on his way. He sees a little wee little Zacchaeus in a tree. He says, Hey, let's go get dinner. And he has dinner with uh, this man who's apparently the chief sinner. He's a chief tax collector. And Jesus sees the potential in him. Jesus, only Jesus, could have seen generosity 
in a greedy man. Jesus has an incredible ability to see the potential in people. Who else could have seen purity in a prostitute Mary Magdalene? Who else could have seen boldness in in a baffling disciple Peter? Better question. Who else could have seen the potential in you? And this, this church, this city is full of so many people who God saw the potential in. While we were dead in our transgressions, God saved us. And he saw more than we ever thought we had, more than we thought we were away. That's the story of so many people. Phil, man, he, he thought he wasn't of any value. A friend of mine, he thought he, his, he was insignificant to God. But he got in a group, a rooted group here and. And there he discovered brothers in Christ. And he discovered that he was valuable in God's eyes. That is a story of us. That is a story of who we are. Is God saw the potential in us. People are the priority. Amen? John 3.16, one of my favorite Bible verses says, For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that who should ever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. And, you know, when it's talking about the world, I'm sure Jesus loves the Grand Canyons, and of course he loves Boone and the mountains there, and maybe he even loves our reservoir. Uh, <laughs> but that's not what this is talking about. The Bible says he loves the world. It's talking about people in this context. For God so loves people. Are you with me? For God so loves people. So let's just take a moment. What are some practical applications for that? As Christians, we're supposed to be Christ-like. How can we in our lives prioritize people? I know for me, man, it's just get caught up in the busyness of life and you can just go through the motions and prioritize methods and, and just, just do this number right here. Put my head down and just get to work. But, but Jesus is so concerned about people. How can we adjust what we are doing to join Jesus as he pursues people? Number two, Jesus. I'm praying the Panthers are going to have a good season this year. Lord, please help us. They're not doing. Anyways, number two, Jesus, be with the people of the Panthers, Father. Thank God the Patriots lost Tom Brady. It's going to be a good year. Anyways, speaking of the Patriots, Jesus understands pain. Point number two, Jesus understands pain. You know, there's something common today that politicians, and if we're honest, probably all of us do in some way or another, uh, something politicians do, and it's called identification. What that is, is a politician pulls into town, he puts on his suit, puts on his tie, he gets in his limousine, and he goes to the banker, and, and he says, hey, Mr. Banker, I, uh, I'm thankful for you and what you are in this community. I want to let you know my father was a banker. And so I know what it is like. I interned at a bank. I know what it is like. And then he gets in his limousine. He takes off his suit. He puts on his jean jacket. He goes into the factory. And he says, hey, listen, I'm from the Midwest. I know what it is like. I've been there. I've had the struggles. He takes that off. He puts on his overalls. He goes to the farmers. And, and he says, hey, listen, I eat corn. I grew a garden in my backyard. It was a raised bed. I know what it is like. Hear me, Grace Church, when I say this. Uh, Jesus did not settle for the delusion of looking the part. He loved his people so much, and his words are not cheap, that he bought them not only in tears, but with blood. Philippians 2.6 says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider 
equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus was God. He is God, and he was in heaven. But he chose to take the form of a human servant so that he could know what it is like. Hebrews 4.14 says it like this. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has, been, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach, key word here, God's throne of grace. Why is it a throne of grace? Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. This may be overly simplistic, but I believe it has massive truths. The reason it is so wonderful that Jesus became a human is because he knows what it's like. He knows what it is like. He did not, he's not a God in heaven who's, who's saying, man, I understand. He, he loves us so much he chose to become a human. And now when we experience pain, when we experience loss, Jesus can comfort us because guess what? He experienced it. And now he's sitting on a throne of grace. Why is it a throne of grace and not of judgment? Because he understands. It's because he can sympathize with what pain is like. Jesus he experienced different types of pain, both physical and emotional. Isaiah 53 3 says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and he was held in low esteem. Verse 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And he was wound, and by his wounds we are healed. You know, when Jesus was crucified, they put King of the Jews above him, which was a racial slur. And and Jesus understands injustice. He was he was um, arrested at night, and he had th- most people don't realize this. He experienced three different trials, which, by the way, it was illegal to try in all of those trials to um, try somebody at night. He was first um, by the Jewish guards. You know, they tried him and. And they hit him with their fists. Then Herod's guards, they plucked his beard out and put a crown of thorn on him. And then, of course, Pilate, who would flog him and uh, eventually crucify him. Jesus, I know this is tough. Jesus was tortured to death. He understands physical pain. But more than that, Jesus understands emotional pain. You know, many places in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, And Luke, Jesus is referred to as the son of Mary. It's a frame of, it's a way of saying, here's Jesus. They would say, here's the son of Mary. But in the book of John, he's referred to as the son of Joseph. And that's really significant. Let me explain why. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are oftentimes referred to as the synoptic gospels, meaning they follow kind of a similar pattern. And it sounds something like the birth of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, but then they skip the first two years of Jesus' ministry, and they jump to the third year. And I think it was about 60 years after this had happened, John is left. I think he's the last living disciples. The rest have been martyred and, and uh, killed and died. And John recognizes this. 
And so he writes the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, and he focuses on the first two years of Jesus' ministry. That's why in the gospel of John we find things that aren't anywhere else, like him, him turning water to wine, the uh, conversation with Nicodemus, the woman at the well, different stories, the raising of Lazarus. And so John is the first two years primarily of Jesus' ministry. And in that time, the first two years, he's referred to as Jesus, the son of Joseph. But the third year comes along, and all of a sudden, people start referring to him as Jesus, the son of Mary. There's only one reason this would be, and that his earthly father would have died. In Jesus' third year of ministry, his earthly father would have died. And this makes sense on the cross when, when Jesus is up there. He looks at his disciples and he, he's worried about his mother's well-being. And, and he tells them, this is your mother. And she goes and lives with them. That's, that makes sense. She would not have done that if her husband was alive. And historical documents of that day show us that Jesus' father died in his third year of ministry. And what blows my mind about this story is Jesus, man, he, he raised people from the dead. He, he had the power to do that. Why would he not do that with his own earthly father? Why wouldn't he save Joseph? And I, I think the answer, in my opinion, is pretty clear. Jesus wanted to understand what it was like. He is a God who is not unaware of what we are going through. When we experience trials and tribulations, when we experience heartache, when, when we go through things, when we have lost, Jesus now knows what it is like. He understands what we are going through. And I don't know about you, but right now is a crazy time. There's a lot of pain going on. Like, man, we just got through this COVID thing. And I, I'm sure, man, if you think back, there were a lot of emotions being cooped up and, and, and just different things people are struggling with in the news and, and all this injustice and just different topics going on. And, and what do you say? What do you do? What's right? What's wrong? How do, I, how do I be loved? How do I not offend people? It's a difficult time. And hear me, church, when I say this, Jesus knows what it is like. He is not a God who is unaware and cannot sympathize with our experiences. Jesus was betrayed. He, was, he had a wrong trial. He was, he was called racial slurs. He experienced hardships. His father died. He understands what it is like. Amen? 